Jesus is our living hope, the one who rose from the dead to guarantee that we have eternal life, that forever we can be with our King and our Savior, the one who has given himself for us. That is Jesus. He is the one we've come to sing about. He's the one we've come to worship. He is the one by whom and for whom everything exists and our lives orbit around his grace and his life that he provides. It is Jesus. It is no one else. And if you're here for any other reason, you're missing it. So today we are here to worship, and I hope you are prepared because uh, I think God is doing some good things among us, and I am very, very thankful. Um, <clears throat> I also noticed something. Did you notice something? We haven't quite got all our Christmas things put away yet. It's kind of time to get the Christmas things put away. Now, I'm not just talking about you. Is your house the same? I know, that I, don't, I know a lot of you, you haven't put everything away yet, right? Um, maybe you're a little distracted by that. Maybe you haven't got quite, if there's still leftovers in your fridge, they need to go, right? <laughs> don't eat them, don't give them to your dog. It is time for those things to go. Sometimes we have things that are left over. Sometimes we have things that are unresolved. And in our relationships, sometimes we've got some conflicts, some hurts, some unforgiveness, some things that come out. Today, Jesus is gonna speak some words to us, and I'm gonna pray for us, because I think we all need very open hearts, very sensitive hearts, places where God is wanting to deal with us, and it's one of those places we kinda don't wanna, well, we don't wanna deal with. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to each of us today. Father, thank you that Jesus is the one we're here for. Thank you that he's our example, he is the full expression of your love, your grace, your mercy. God, thank you that your salvation goes so much more, that you've called us to a life that is like your sons, that we would imitate him, that we would reflect his goodness, his glory, his mercy. God, thank you for calling us into Christ-likeness. Lord, speak to us through your word today. Call us into something deeper. Call, expose those places where, well, Maybe we're covering things up. And Lord, help us be receptive to your word as you want to challenge and speak to us. We pray this in the name that's above every name, the name of our great King, our Savior, Messiah, and Lord, Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen. Well, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus, and we're said uh, last week as we started this new series that the parables really are, are ways that Jesus taught us, some, some memorable ways, some stories that have a meaning cast alongside them that's supposed to give us guidance into different areas of our lives. And well, one of these parables that Jesus ends up sharing talks a lot about forgiveness. Now, why are we going to talk about forgiveness? Well, it's central to Christianity and everything, but I also think we need to talk about forgiveness because, well, <clears throat> we just had holidays, and did you know that studies have shown that holidays tend to be a time of conflict? Surprise, surprise. <clears throat> you didn't have to study my family very long to realize some people that have gotten together, um, they don't talk very much except when they're forced to be together at those holidays. Or anybody come back maybe from uh, your holidays, your Christmas breaks, and you're back into the workplace, and as we've come back and our workplaces are encouraging people to be in the office more, that tends to be the trend these days, 
that those old rivalries, those old conflicts, those places where you felt maybe unfairly treated by a boss, or maybe someone feels that you've done something to them, and maybe they're like and not your <coughs> ally within the workplace, that those old conflicts seem to kind of begin to emerge in the new year. In fact, I, I was just kind of perusing the internet, and you know, these little things pop up, these little articles they want you to read. Do you get those, like the suggestions for you? And it's like, uh, eight things people need to know about unresolved simile sibling estrangement, or five steps to healing when a family member won't change. Yeah, it's them, right? They just won't change. And I'm, well, they better hurry up and change. Okay, maybe it's us. Well, let's see. Jesus has some words for us. And in Matthew 18, Peter seems to kind of begin the conversation. And in verse 21 of chapter 18 of Matthew, Peter came to Jesus and asked a question. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now that's the NIV. Other translations go with 70 times seven. The point seems to be not a specific number, whether it's 77 or 490. Yeah, I think it's 400. It's not a specific number, but it's a this sense that, no, it's more than you should keep track of. You're just going to forgive. You're, you're going to forgive no matter how many times your brother comes to you. Okay, there was a context here. In Matthew 18, Jesus had just been talking about resolving conflict. He'd been talking about, look, if someone has done something wrong, you should go to them and show them their fault. If they refuse to listen to you, take someone else along with you. If they still no one will listen to you, bring them before the kind of gathered assembly of God's people and say, hey, look, this brother or sister, they've really done something wrong. There's sort of a pattern there. And Peter steps up and is like, all right, we're talking about this. Well, I'll, I'll kind of show that I'm really a good student here. I'm going to kind of be the teacher's pet for a moment. I'm going to point out, Jesus, I'm paying attention. Hope you all are as well. I'm paying attention, Jesus. <clears throat> so you've been talking about how we, how a process here, Jesus. Now, how many times should we go through this process? I just, I, I just want to be clear here. Almost with, I think, of my sense of pride, maybe a sense of, I've done enough. I've done my part. I, 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 I've been good enough. And don't we think, like Peter, that we've been good enough? Just like that article. That family member who won't change. That coworker who won't deal, you know, deal correctly. We're so quick to throw the stone. We're so quick to be the accuser. We're so quick to bring out all of our, all of our excuses for holding on to unforgiveness, for refusing to forgive those who maybe have wronged us. Oh yeah, we've got our reasons here. I've got a few listed for you. Here's one, here's one. They started it, right? One me, I'm a good guy. They started it, or <clears throat> they haven't repented. You see, for true forgiveness to occur, they must repent first, right? Anybody use that one? Mm -hmm. or, or how about this one? They've never actually asked for forgiveness. Oh yeah, sort of they've made up for things. Oh yeah, they've sort of done things. I, 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 I've noticed one of my cultures that, of students that I love so much and enjoy, in their family members, some of the relationships, I, and I just saw this on a television program, they don't actually say I'm sorry, especially if a parent wrongs a child. The parent just makes them food. But it's a signal. If the parent makes food, that's really admitting I've done something wrong and I should, I should 
make it up to you by, would you like me to make you something to eat? <laughs> it's it, it basically the same thing as saying, I'm sorry. I, it, it's a confusing thing to me, but I've kind of begun to pick up that that's the pattern. But they never ask for forgiveness, so that means I don't have to forgive. Or, or, or their act was just unforgivable, or they'll never change. We have these reasons that we hold on to, these things that say, look, I, I, I don't have to be the one that forgives here. But look what Jesus, how Jesus responded. He says this in verse 23 of Matthew 18. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven is different. The kingdom of heaven, the way God intends it to be, is not that way. The kingdom of heaven is completely different. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, and here comes the parable, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, there's a lot of different estimates on, on how much Jesus was talking about, but let's just go ahead and say this was the 30-year mortgage. <laughs> this was the one that was, uh, you're not going to pay this off this week. You're not going to earn enough in a few days of hard labor. You're not gonna, this, this wasn't just you know, some pocket change. This was a hefty amount of money. Um, the man who came, he owed this, the, 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 the king 10,000 bags of gold. He couldn't pay it back. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay it back, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this was a practice of the time period, right? This is this debtor's prison kind of thing. It's a horrible system. I got to be honest. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you can't pay me back, I can have you thrown in jail until you can pay me back. Guess what you don't make while you're in jail? money to pay me back. I don't, I don't understand the logic of it. I don't understand how this thing works, but that was the system. You had to like, maybe hopefully get your, sorry about that. Hopefully get friends and colleagues and others to bring, to give you money to make donations while you're stuck in prison. I think the guy ought to be working off his debt, but you know, hey, this is how it worked in this time period. This was the system. Everyone was going to be sold in, in, into some kind of a slavery, indentured servitude until the debt could be paid. Well, this is horrible. And the servant said this. He fell on his knees in verse 26. And he said, be patient with me, he begged. I, I, I honestly, I, I'm going to do it. I, just give me another chance. I, okay, another 30 years. <laughs> but I will pay it back. I, I will give it back. I'll pay back everything. And then don't miss this. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Did you notice how Jesus, Jesus could have told the story any way he wanted to. I probably would have said something, and you know, the master was a pretty nice guy, and so he decided to restructure the loan, right? He decided to, to put him on a payment plan, um, to give him 10% off, and no. The master took pity canceled the debt and let him go. The very first thing that Jesus wants to teach us from this parable is that this is how God deals with us. This is how God interacts with his people. This is what's going on here. Did you understand God's actions? God takes pity on us. God has compassion for us. God delights to show mercy. It tells us in, in, in Micah chapter 8 that, that, that we have a God who delights to show mercy. 
We have in John chapter 3, Jesus just says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It's this idea that God takes mercy on us, that God eliminates our debt, and that God sets us free. Listen, the scriptures are are full of references to this very truth. Look at Colossians chapter 2. It says, when you were dead, dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. When you were dead, you had no hope. You had no way of getting out of the tomb. You had no way of coming back. You were dead. You were under God's wrath. There is nothing you could do to somehow earn a place with God or earn some kind of forgiveness. Or You can't get there from here. He took pity on you. He had mercy on you. He loved you and he made you alive. He canceled the debt. It says he forgave us our sins. Um, All of us having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness. Jesus, by his death on the cross, paid for our sins, past, present, and future. The one by whom and for whom the universe was made. The one who is worth more than all of us and all of creation and all of humanity. Whoever was and whoever will be. The one who is worth more than all of that traded his life by a death on the cross to pay for all of those sins. And therefore, it's paid for. It's paid for. No one here would accept the fact that if you've uh, paid off that credit card, you paid off that mortgage, if they send you a bill next month, you're not going to keep paying. You're going to show paid in full right here, buddy, and you're circling it and highlighting. It's paid in full. It's paid in full. Jesus has taken all of our sins. He canceled the debt. He paid the full price um, which stood against us. And finally, he took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. But because of his great love for us, because of this intense mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace that we've been saved. You see this, Romans chapter 8, the same thing echoed here. There is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free. From the law of sin and death. He let us go. How could he let us go? He goes on to explain in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do. That it was weakened by my flesh. The law of God. The, 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 I couldn't make it up. I've already broken it. I've already sinned. So it is no longer able to heal me. It's no longer able to save me. God saved me. He did it oppositely by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh. To be that sin offering. So he did what? Verse 3. He condemned sin in flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The debt has been paid. It's been canceled. We no longer live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. We have been set free. Do you believe that this morning? You kind of believe it. And I hope you fully believe it. But then those sins creep back into your life, you know? Maybe you do something that you said you weren't going to do again. Maybe you acted out (laughs) towards a family member or at work in a way that you're like, boy, that wasn't Christ-likeness. Boy, that wasn't who I'm supposed to be. I'm not living in that freedom of the Spirit. And all of a sudden you start going, did you pay for that one too, Jesus? Because 
I said I wasn't going to do that again. Did you, did, did, did you, boy, that was worse than I ever thought I would act towards anybody. How could you love me? Could you take pity on me? See, we believe it until we don't, until we start doubting, until we let, I call it the one-two punch of Satan, right? The one punch is when he just tempts you into something, your flesh captures you, your, your, your sinful nature captures you, and you cross a line and do what you're not supposed to do, and you're like, you fell. But then there's the second punch of Satan, which is this accusation against the saints that says, see, you're unworthy, see, he doesn't love you, see, you're unforgiven, and that's not true. Well, the unworthy part, sure but God put worth on you because he loved you. God put worth on you because he died for you. He sent his son to die for you. God put worth on you and has redeemed you and saved you. And you cannot, I mean, you're basically calling him a liar. That's what 1 John says, that if we think we're without sin, we're calling God to be a liar. If we think that Christ won't do what he said he would do, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are clean. You are forgiven. God already took the pity on you. He already knew past, present, and future, and he sent his son. Brothers and sisters, that payment is complete. He has nailed the sins to the cross, and they are gone. They are complete. He has let us go. So did you take notice of Jesus' words? He took pity to cancel the debt, and he's let us go. Well, this parable goes on, <clears throat> and I think this has a lot of uh, truth for us. In verse, 18, in verse 28 in Matthew 18, it says this. But when that servant who had just been forgiven, who had just had his debt canceled, who had just had his family rescued, who had just had the biggest gift of all time, man, you are set free. The debt is gone. Woohoo! Man, put the eagle over the thing on your house. It's paid for, right? You, you are good to go. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, that's probably not nothing, right? I mean, it was probably at least a good month's worth of pay. I mean, it, it, it's significant. Um, but he owes him some money, and he grabs him and begins to choke him and say, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay him back. The same words, the same actions. But in verse 30, it says that first servant refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay off the debt. Now, <clears throat> verse 31. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and told their master everything that happened. Now, let's stop there for a second. Wouldn't you have been one of the other servants? Wouldn't you have been pretty ticked off? Wouldn't you, could you believe that guy? I mean, he has just been forgiven, and now he won't turn around and forgive at all. <clears throat> you know where this is going, right? You see the application, right? It, it, it's not going to take Jesus to spell it out for us, is it? Our unforgiveness of others misrepresents God. For those of us who are believers, for those of us who enjoy that forgiveness, for those of us who rejoice over the salvation that Christ has given us, our unforgiveness of others misrepresents our God to the world. 
when we're holding grudges, when we're being <coughs> unkind, it misrepresents God. There's a few verses um, uh, that kind of show this uh, reflection of God. Exodus 34, we already read this morning, just says, and he passed in front of Moses the Lord and proclaimed his own name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love and faithfulness to a thousand generations, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Or Colossians chapter 3 that says, to us, bear each other's burdens and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, we are called to emulate this forgiveness. When we fail to show that compassion to that family member or to that coworker or to that neighbor uh, down the street, we, we, we fail to show the world that God has forgiven us and that his character is one of compassion and forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus' story ends pretty harshly. Um, it says in verse 32, that then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had at you, in you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then Jesus said this in verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay. This last part of this parable is a little confusing. Right, because he just forgave the debt of this of the servant. You know, the that ten thousand bags of gold, it was forgiven, right? And then that servant doesn't forgive the other guy who owed him a hundred pieces of silver. And then it seems like the first king is able to then, I guess, because he's the king, reinstated that debt and like, oh well, since you weren't forgiven, here we go, um, and had this first servant thrown in prison. That can give us a little bit of, uh, wait, scratching my head a little bit. I, I thought it was canceled. I thought, well, remember, parables have some limitations here, right? It's a story to illustrate a point. Um, and we need to take the whole scripture and the theological truths are there. And let me tell you, there are three typical responses to this little ending where Jesus says, that's how my father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I think the first is confusion. Confusion about salvation. People will ask a question, am I not saved? <laughs> am I not forgiven? Because I'm still harboring some unforgiveness against someone else? Does that mean my debt has not been canceled? Does that mean that, that, that I am somehow unforgiven? Brothers and sisters, hold up. Ye, we've got to believe the truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The debt has been paid. It is once and for all. It is not a conditional thing based on your character. If it was based on your character, <clears throat> we're all failing. I'm so thankful that God took pity on us and made a new way. Not based on what we could do, but based on what his son did for us. Don't be confused about salvation. 
This was not about that. Christ forgave us once and for all if you put your faith in him. But there's a second response people often have, and the second response is one of, well, quite honestly, dismissiveness. They begin to appeal to a technicality. Uh, you know, like, I did forgive the person in my heart, sort of, you know. And I still don't like them. I still don't, well, I'm not going to be around them. And, you know, <clears throat> whenever I think about them, oh, I start burning up in anger. Oh, that guy. Have you got that guy? You know who I'm talking about, right? That guy. It might be that girl, but it's that, it's that person. It's that person that just, there's that unforgiveness there, right? And, and, and we sort of say, well, I mean, I've forgiven them. Oh. It's not okay. Christ calls us to forgiveness. Do you know that song? I mean, speaking about it, we're still on Christmas. We still have the decorations up. We still have Christmas around us, I guess. I guess we're, you know, the one thing we are done with is Christmas music, right? Did I hear an amen? Finally, that's what's off the radios. Okay. Um, you know that little song, um, I'll Be Home for Christmas? I'll be home for Christmas. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, right? And how does the thing end? I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. So does that mean you're not coming, right? Because I want to make sure I have enough food and there's enough beds. If you're only going to be there in your dreams, that, that kind of means you're, you're not actually coming, right? Um, that's kind of how we treat forgiveness sometimes. Oh, I, you know, I've, I've forgiven them in my heart. I hate that guy. <laughs> I, I, have you really forgiven? Now, brothers and sisters, I will say this. There are times when, when maybe people's cruelty or some unregenerate nature, some things, that it's okay to keep a distance for protection of yourself and others. That's an okay thing to do. That, 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 there's wisdom there from the Lord. You, it doesn't mean that they are immediately restored or immediately have access to your time and your attention or your home. There may be some places that you need to keep some, some, some barriers. That, that, that's true. But we do need to forgive. Christ does call us to forgive because I think that is the third and truthfully the only way is to have an humble adoption of this truth that look, you are forgiven and therefore you are called to forgive. Your debt has been paid. You have crossed the line so many times. You have done things in your heart and in your mind and in your actions that have offended God. Your sins are too many to count. And God has paid that debt. You also, like God, are called to now forgive your brother and sister. That's a place that God brings his work among us. It's a fruit of his spirit. When we truly grasp and hold on to that salvation, it calls us into a love for our brothers and sisters. We too take pity on those who have wronged us. We too are called to set them free and to set ourselves free from that unforgiveness that is our heart. Oh yeah, Jesus paid for our sins. And honestly, he paid for theirs too. So God has called us to be forgiving. So this morning, I think I just need to ask you these questions. Number one, is there someone that you still need to forgive? Is there someone you need to say, Lord, help me? <laughs> I'm struggling to forgive that person. Lord, help me. Do you truly believe that God has fully forgiven you? And number three, can I let uh, forgiveness make me more like Christ? Can Lord, can you turn me into that person that truly does reflect your forgiveness to the world? 
as we enter this new year, as we walk these new days together, would you let this parable of Jesus be a guiding truth in your life? My dad uh, taught for a long time and taught some different classes adjunctively. You know, you, I guess it's sort of a family pro- profession. And uh, he said that, he told me he used to write on the board at the start of every class one word. I'm thinking, yeah, like punctuality, <laughs> turn your work on time, or I just kept thinking, what would he write for his one word? Forgiveness was what he would write on the first day of class. And I guess the idea was, you need to have mercy with me, and I'll have some mercy with you, but ultimately, if I say something wrong, if it's a microaggression or whatever, if you feel like I've offended you in some way, you're going to need to forgive me. And if there's things that you do, I need to forgive you. That as we work in this world, as nations fight against each other, without forgiveness, we can't get anywhere. We can't get anywhere. God has given us the greatest gift, forgiveness. A relationship with him that's free. A relationship that's freely accessible. Will you respond? Some of you may have not responded. You have not truly believed that God would forgive you, that God sent his son to die for you. Maybe today is your day to say, Jesus, Forgive me, I'm going to follow you. For others, maybe there's some unforgiveness you're holding on to. Lord, you need to pray. Lord, help me forgive. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful, oh so thankful, for the gift of forgiveness that was purchased by your son. Lord, help us, help us be agents of forgiveness, those who not only are set free by forgiveness, but those who show your goodness, your character as we forgive. God, don't let the unforgiveness bind us or hold us back as a church or hold us back as individuals. God, let us walk in spirit and truth. We pray this knowing that you hear us and that you love us in the name of Jesus. The music team's going to lead us in a song or two, and it's going to be about freedom. It's going to be about forgiveness, but it's also an opportunity for you to respond. If God is calling you to, to, to maybe be a member of this church or maybe to come and pray about forgiveness or to find out more about what it is to follow Jesus, would you respond during this time? I'm going to be up front here, and uh, Pastor David, Pastor Barry are available. We'd be happy to speak with you more about the forgiveness in Jesus. Let's stand as we sing.